even though I'm objectively a VC and I do the job well, it's easy to think like, wait, am I supposed to be here? There are a lot of really good ideas in this world. Yes, you can be the perfect person, perfect idea, but it can be timing. And so why now does this make sense? Generally, what venture capital can do is really catalyze and expand on and speed up those processes and allow for people to build companies that change systems. If you're in VC and you don't want to help founders, that's like the wrong role. We want to see everyone succeed. Welcome back to the Generation Hustle podcast. Amin and I had a blast at New York Tech Week, networking with founders, investors, and VCs making an impact in the space. So thank you to everyone that reached out and connected with us throughout the week. We're grateful and super excited for all the possibilities to come. That being said, we're diving back into season two of our VC series. Episode 86 is with Claire Rafson investor at ENIAC Ventures. Based out of ENIAC's New York office, Claire is passionate about democratizing access to capital, making essential services like fintech and healthcare more accessible, and embedding ESG principles into companies. ENIAC Ventures leads seed rounds in bold founders who use code to create transformational companies. Armed with over 80 years of combined experience building their own companies, ENIAC does more than just provide capital. They provide a platform to an expansive network with a strong belief in community at the heart of their investment approach. So we sit down to talk to Claire about her journey into VC. She details her day-to-day as an investor, what ENIAC looks for in transformational founders, and how they're pushing the bar on democratizing access to capital for everyone involved. This was such an insightful conversation that we hope you enjoy. Guest, Claire from ENIAC Ventures. We just had a discussion on how to pronounce that, but glad I got that right. How's it going? It's good. It's good. It's Friday here. And so you can never complain on a lovely fall Friday. So happy, just happy to be here. And thanks for having me. Yeah, a lot of interesting things happening in the world of VC. We'll get into that uh, a little later. But mm-hmm. we always love starting off with learning a bit more about yourself. So could you maybe just take us through or walk us through some early day influences that you've had that maybe push you down the path of venture capital? Yeah, um, I think it's interesting because, you know, at the time, you know, if you asked me in when I was a kid, even up and through like college, if you asked me what I wanted to be, a venture capitalist was just not on my radar at all. Um, But like looking back now, a ton of influences and things have always pushed me in this direction. And so looking back, it kind of feels cohesive, but it did not feel that way at the time. Um, But I think, yeah, at at the most fundamental and earliest stage, almost all of my decisions and, you know, career and personal choices have been driven by, (laughs) I would say, like a slightly unhealthy obsession with impact. Yeah. Um, And really trying to figure out for me, what kind of impact I can have on this world, what kind of scale I can have that impact and and how best I can have that impact. Mm-hmm. And so what that looked like kind of throughout college was thinking about having impact on systems like the legal and government systems. So spent time on political campaigns, spent time at law firms, at courts, and loved being able to kind of impact these systems that have impacted my family and the people and given me opportunities to be where I am today. Um, but to be honest, it was a little slow moving and a little regressive. So, you know, seeing people in the system who I could help individually, but realizing that something earlier on in their life or, um, in the world had failed them 
and that kind of I was only putting bandages on things right. as opposed to fixing right. things. Yeah. And for me at that point, I was introduced to kind of the world of business at large, um, had a couple good mentors at school, uh, a lot of my friends, parents who were in the space, um, who kind of said and helped me realize that for me, business would be a really good way to both get my chops, but also, and frankly, and candidly, money talks. And so being able to have an impact through business was what I really wanted to explore. So Worked in consulting for several years um, at Bain in New York, uh, was doing any industry, was really just learning and working with some of the biggest companies in the world, which is amazing getting yeah. to see you know, how they think, how they run, um, and really just like what a business looks like at scale. Um, but I think there was always that itch that was like, every kind of change or thing we were doing was a tweak because once you're at scale and you're a public company, you've been around for 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, it's way harder to change things um, and to make kind of lasting change. And so I think the big overarching turn that brought me to be where I am now as a VC was I, I had the opportunity to spend some time working at uh, the tech private equity firm Silver Lake Partners. Um, and while I was at Silver Lake, I got to work under the most amazing woman, Carrie Braddock. Um, she is an MD there and is the head of their ESG and impact practice okay. and, cool. and internally. And so spent a ton of time there really getting to see tech, you know, more at growth stage, but venture, how tech can have an impact, really believing that tech is the future for changing, for democratizing access to things. And then one really important meeting happened while I was at Silver Lake that led me to VC. Um, one thing Silver Lake was doing was, in, as an LP, investing in early stage seed and like Series A funds with diverse managers. Um, and I got to sit in on those meetings. And there was oh, one cool. meeting in particular um, with uh, Nisha Dua from BBG Ventures. I remember it so specifically, built by Girl Ventures. And there was just this moment watching her talk about her portfolio, talk about her fundraising, talk about what she's been doing, where I really started to be like, oh, that's what I want to be doing. I, and also, we had similar backgrounds, both educationally and professionally. She's a former Bainey, too. And I was just like, I thought the venture capitalists were the people on TV and in yeah. movies, like, you know, like the in shorts yeah. and flip-flops and right. SF. Shark Tank kind of style. Yes, yeah. Yeah. literally Shark Tank. And finally seeing her, I was like, wait, I can be a VC too. And so from that moment on, I just started, she was really helpful. A lot of other people, I started talking to anyone that would talk to me, learning anything I could, talking to people at startups, like across every stage and really just trying to learn more about VC and realize that it just was that kind of impact that I wanted to have um, and have just was lucky enough to have a successful uh, attempt at breaking into venture and have been investing ever since. And it's been absolutely amazing. Yeah. I think a lot of individuals that have come from like, say, more traditional industries, they love seeing how VC is technically like a gateway into innovation and the future. And so I, I think talking to a lot of VCs now, that's like something that really excites them. One thing that you mentioned there is this uh, idea of having mentors along the way. And for you, how important was like representation um, in making that 
transition into VC? Because you've mentioned your your mentor at Silver Lake um, and um, the VC that you kind of got inspired by. If that didn't exist, would you think that was the right path? It is so important for me. I think, you know, I could have been reading the job description on a piece of paper and because I didn't see myself in the job, I don't think I would have thought I was a VC. Sometimes I'm still, even though I'm objectively a VC and I do the job well, it's easy to think like, wait, am I supposed to be here? Um, And I think seeing people crushing it publicly and openly and being themselves was just so big for me to be able to break in and feel like there are people I can connect with and talk to who have done it and blazed the trail. And, you know, early on got involved with like Black VC and and did some programming with them. And and they do so much to help people, again, break into into venture. And it was all just so helpful and affirming. Um, I think, you know, I think it's very important to have mentors in different lanes. And so I definitely do have, you know, the standard, I had standard mentors that look a lot like more like what the old (laughs) industry looks like. Right. But it was that mix of both having people who kind of know what I'm feeling and going through as well as seeing them crush it and thrive that made me be like, okay, I can do this. this Yeah. And gave me like, I I joke like just enough. I was like naively confident enough to just think I could do it. <laughs> and I think that was so helpful when I was invest, like trying to break into venture. Yeah, no, that's an awesome thing. And I think even in my pathway, like finance is tra- traditionally, you know, pretty homogeneous. And so me trying to find a pathway um, saying like, is this really a career I want to do? Because I don't have anyone I can really talk to who understands my story. And then at one point in time, I did find a mentor that really helped me kind of understand, like, this is maybe what you should be doing. And this is what helps me get inspired to, you know, get up every day to work on XYZ. And so that really, really helps bridge the gap between where I want, where I am today to where I want to be. So mentors are always important. Um, In terms of just saying, we know the work at a VC is really hard. But I do want to understand, like, what do you do outside to help you mellow out? Because <laughs> mental health is really important and staying, you know, A-OK is really important. Yeah, mental health is huge. And it's something I think, you know, having come from a pretty intense consulting background, yeah. I was like, you know, I have failed myself at times to maintain my mental health. I'll be the first to admit that. And so especially, you know, I it is something I will never compromise on now and it's something I take very seriously. So other than having an amazing therapist <laughs> um who I keep even not when I'm not in crisis mode, uh you know, just to check in, I also just have like fun hobbies and make sure that I have a life beyond the job beyond the job, especially with VC because you know, you're going to events. A lot of my friends are VCs now. Yeah. You know, you could be always on. And so there are a couple of things like I have no talent, but I love the arts. And so the things that I do, like I love to go to a musical or a play or a concert to just really like unplug. Um, I watch way too much reality TV. Okay. What's your, what's your favorite show? <laughs> uh, um, I mean, so many, but like my all-time favorite shows are like Survivor and the Amazing Race. Oh, and, nice. Or, nice. Yeah. yeah. My wife has made me into a Kim Kardashian. I don't know what the show is actually Card- called. It's like the Kardashians. Yeah, the Kardashians. She makes me watch it on every Thursday now. So I was just like, oh, I'm getting it's, influenced. It's mindless yeah. and it's amazing. And yeah. it's, it, you know, sometimes you just need to be able to kind of unplug. Yeah, no, it's important for sure. So that, I mean, that's an amazing way to unplug. 
And if I were to ask you, maybe there's one experience that you can narrow down something that's so important that, that you cherish. Is there anything that comes to mind? Oh, wow. Uh, I think so many, honestly, it's so hard. Um, there's one in recent memory that I skip over, but <laughs> um, that's just too long of a story. But I think for me, one of my favorite, my favorite memories have just been like spending time with my friends and, and really getting it. So in like most recent memory, me and my friends took a week and went to like a music festival with my dad and his friends. Oh, wow. Yeah. Cool. He's like an old nerdy Jewish man yeah. who likes like old rock and we just decided to go with him. And, but for me, it's like my best experiences are just like with my family and friends. And so it changes like every week. <laughs> yeah. That level of comfort and just interaction is always important. And family is always kind of level set to you out. Right. So it's, it's really cool. So exactly. let's, let's talk a bit more about your role now. Um, first, maybe let's get into the lowdown of maybe you, you've already discussed how you kind of met the team. Uh, but you know, can you walk us through how you went through the interview process? Cause you know, we've had a lot of questions from, uh, younger career individuals saying, I want to get into VC. I don't know how to prepare for the interview process. So what was it like for you? I know it's pretty unique for each firm, but maybe some good tips and tricks. Totally. And so, like I said, I, I think it was, you know, I would, I wouldn't call this the most premeditated. <laughs> so I think for me, what really happened was I started wanting to just learn about venture. And what I found out when I was learning and having all these conversations and meeting more people, I was like accidentally falling into these like interview processes <laughs> and starting to like realize that, you know, because there are jobs, luckily there are a lot more jobs that are posted publicly, but the way the funds work, it, it's incredibly opaque. So you right. could be talking yeah. to somebody and their fund could be hiring and you wouldn't know. Um, but either way, what I really tried to do was just learn and listen and, and read as much as I could. And I spent a lot of time thinking about what I wanted out of a role and what role made sense for me. And okay. so where it really narrowed down to and how ENIAC became the clear choice was, you know, I realized that I had a lot of experience with later stage companies from Silver Lake and from Bain and wanted to go as early as possible to really kind of, and we'll get into it later. I, yeah. I can talk forever, but I want to see a company when it's an idea, when it was two people, I wanted to have this impact of being, you know, maybe the first institutional capital somebody would take on. So wanted something early. I'm a generalist by trade. I get excited about a lot of things and I learn a lot. Um, and there are certain things I spike on, but I wanted to just dive in and go to something that's a little bit more tech generalist, you know, maybe something with more of a B2B angle, but, and like software angle, but just wanted to be generalist. And then the thing that really decided everything for me was just culture and people and, and where I could learn and nice. start a career yeah. and really grow. Um, and so with ENIAC, it's funny because, you know, I was doing this process for several months where I was just on Twitter, you know, okay, reading yeah. blogs, yeah. listening to podcasts. And ENIAC kept coming up. And it's not like a massive fund, but it kept coming up on Twitter with these kind of like goofy people who seem to really like each other. And um, and I their portfolio, I you know, I kept kind of seeing them on some of the deals that I thought were really interesting when I was researching companies. And luckily enough, they had a open job posting that was like available online. So I was able, like I found the job posting 
and applied through those means. And, okay. and for me, that was, yeah. I think, you know, I don't think I had enough connections or people to like find a job other than just applying to things that were right. available to me. Okay. Um, but yeah, so, and then once I started meeting the team, I was like, this is it. Like every single person at ENIAC is so unique, so different, but they all felt really like mission aligned on just like wanting to invest in exciting companies and people. And it felt like a place where I could just really learn, like make mistakes, do things right, wrong, upside down, um, and have like a community to land on my feet with. And so I feel really lucky to have found INIAC and for them to have wanted me enough. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I think it was, I think just to like summarize the process, I think what was most important and like I think people underrate is I think especially with Twitter now and all these blogs and even like paid classes on how to break into VC or like what to do it can feel so overwhelming and you can feel like you have to be someone you're not. Yeah. And I yeah. kind of decided that like, you know, if I have to be completely different than what makes me excited or energized, like if I have to be doing things that feel like a slog, I'm not going to like that part of the job. Um, and so I was really looking for a place that I could be authentically like, this is my background. This is what I bring to the table. It's unique. And I think it's value add, but like, I wasn't going to be able to, you know, I'm not an expert in a random niche sub. Yeah. Okay. And and that's okay. And so I didn't, so I, you know, I did accordingly and I just really reached out to people. Everyone is so nice and so supportive. Like everyone wants to be helpful because I think every single person in the industry wants to give back because they, somebody helped them. Yep. And so it was those conversations that helped so much uh, more than honestly any studying I could have done, any research I could have done. It was like that. And I, and at the best, it was just meeting the coolest people ever. Like sure. I was so For lucky sure. that people would take 20 minutes to just like tell me about their life. And I was like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it's really also refreshing to hear that. Um, you know, a lot of people get discouraged uh, down the path of VC feeling like they have to have like the biggest brand or they have to be an expert in a niche. And they just stop looking. Even if you're a generalist, that can be quite smart and kind of having a rounded tool set. And I've had many discussions with a lot of my peers. They were like, nah, I'm probably not going to get the role. I'm just not going to try just because everyone they look at. And again, it's fun specific. Yeah. But they do get discouraged. But it's really refreshing to hear there are funds out there that really cater to generalists and open up those opportunities. And I'm so happy to hear that you found the right match for yourself. Um, walking into that, so can you talk about the firm's thesis now uh, in yeah. terms of what you guys value and what kind of your focus is in terms of investing? Yeah, so like I said, um, it kind of checked all the boxes I wanted. So we are a New York-based fund, um, but we invest broadly. Um, I think like the, the, the tagline is, you know, we lead pre-seed and seed rounds, um, investing in bold founders who are using tech or code to create transformational companies. And, you know, that can be a lot of like buzzwordy, but, you know, what it really comes down to truly, truly investing at, you know, pre-seed and seed, we're investing in ideas, we're investing in products, yes, but above all else, we're investing in people and founders. Um, You know, it is likely that people are going to have to pivot from 
their first idea and it is healthy to pivot. And so what we're really looking for are people who are hungry, motivated, scrappy, and like ready to transform systems. And so that ends up being pretty broad and it it allows us to really find the people that we think we can help and that we believe in. Um, It does end up looking like, you know, a lot of B2B SaaS, you know, I do a lot of FinTech, um, our fund does, you know, dove into Web3 and is still investing in Web3. We're doing uh, doing some sustainability. Like we have everything, deep tech. We have some consumer, like it's across the board. Um, but we really just are getting excited about people and ideas and markets and wherever we can help. Got it. So truly, truly generalist in terms of actually expressing what it is. Like sometimes people say they're generalist, but then they're like, oh, no, 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 no. Yeah, we're, but then we're fintech, XYZ, we're fintech yeah. yeah, we'll just do this. So yeah, no, that's that's beautiful. Um, and so one of the common things that people think VCs only do is just chat and go to these <laughs> networking events. And uh, I guess like the typical finance bro picture of drinking, going out kind of thing. Yeah. Um, what does the real day-to-day for Claire look like? And what is the, obviously, what is the most common misconception that people get wrong about VC? I think you're totally right on that. And I think there's totally a space. If I wanted to every day go to like a big event and, yeah, yeah. you know, do that, that's possible. But I have a job and I have results to do. So I obviously, I, I, that is not what my day ends up being like. And I, I think, you know, the caveat that this is so different per fund, per role, per person, even within ENIAC, our days look, I'll look at, I stock everyone's calendars and like, even in the day, everyone is doing something different. But, um, and that's what I like about the job. I'm, I'm, I love for things to be different, changing. So it's great for me. Um, but yeah, I think the way I think about my time is like more on my, how my responsibilities take up my, and then that's how my day works. I just structure it. Um, so like say the majority of my time, like over 50% is divided between sourcing and evaluating deals and like all the way through the diligence process. So I think sourcing is where you really start to see that, like the stereotypical VC thing, like that can be going to events, going to conferences, you know, being on Twitter, like all of those things. Um, but also for me, like my favorite part of sourcing is like one-on-one chats, like with other investors, with people in industry, with people, with founders. Um, I, I think that's so that I spend a lot of time, yes, doing coffee chats, because I think first off, that's where I get the most motivated is meeting people and learning from them. Um, but it is also kind of part of the job. Uh, and then in terms of diligence, it's meeting with founders, having those first meetings, second meetings, doing reference checks, sizing the market, preparing all the material and basically evaluating whether or not we believe that this opportunity can be massive and changing. And so that's a lot of the time, obviously. Um, The other things that I spend time are just like, I think, especially at ENIAC, which I've loved is a bulk of my time goes to ongoing portfolio support in a given day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, We are, as a seed investor, we're definitely a lower velocity as they come. Um, We do, you know, each partner will do three to four investments a year in our core checks. And that's because we lead rounds and take and really are hands-on, I would say, partners in this. So 
that means a lot of my time. I'm you know always on call if a founder needs anything, um, and and that can be anything from just day to day advice, venting, to tactical things like hiring, introducing them to other customers, whether that's in, in their portfolio or in the broader ENIAC network, um, and also helping them with fundraising when they get to the A round or or later. Um, but what I love is that you know just because we're a seed investors, we are with these people through it all from it. And so I I get to see companies at all stages and, and it's really just lovely to see, you know, they will take on more capital and have other investors around the table and still they'll pick up like my partner, Tim, still call him. And, and I think that's just a testament to how much hands-on work we do. And then the last, sorry. So that's, and, and that can become like, 30 minutes of one of my days, or it could be a full day spent at a board meeting and then helping them with a deck or something, Got you it. know? Yeah. And then in terms of like ongoing, it's more of like the content platform and internal things. So we have an amazing content head of content, Anthony Ha, who helps kind of keep the wheels moving, but helping with, you know, articles, being helpful. I helped Nahal on one of his uh, podcasts, Debrowing Crypto, okay. check it out. Yeah. Um, and then just like internally keeping the the fund running. So I think being at a small fund, but kind of we've been around for a while, gives me the opportunity to like touch everything and try everything. And my days really are what I make of them. Um, but it, it's always exciting. Yeah. You have autonomy, but you also experience depth and breadth uh, through the work that you're doing. So yes. that's obviously fruitful, uh, to say the least. So um, throughout that kind of message, you also talked about how, you know, first meetings with founders are really key uh, in your role. So in terms of you actually meeting the founders, what are some key indicators that you're looking for when you have that first meeting saying, okay, these are like check marks. Let's move them on to the next chat. Totally. And I mean... First meetings are like my favorite. I love them. I think it's partially just I love meeting new people. I love meeting people who are excited and motivated and driven. And what's more than like a founder? Yeah. Like that's just, you know, I feel motivated and driven never at the level that these founders are. I admire them so much. Um, and so the first meeting, you know, especially hopefully it will be one of many meetings, um, is really just to get down to the core of like, get the basics and also learn about you mm-hmm. as a founder and what you're building. And so what that looks like and what I'm really looking for is, you know, I think almost all of my calls start off with just some chit chat first, just cause you know, I'm t- chatty, but also just wanting to know who this person is and how they got to, the, to be yeah. sitting in front of me building mm-hmm. this company. Um, and I want to hear as early as you're willing to go. Um, it doesn't need to just be your professional experience. It can be, you know, an experience you had as a, like whatever you want to say. Um, because one thing we're really looking for is it's called founder market fit, but it can also be like, you know, whether they're fit for the company, but why this founder is differentially suited um, and motivated to solving the problem that they're solving and creating the product that they're Got creating. It, yeah. And usually that can be a professional, a personal experience, a, a deep interest that they have, but really trying to figure out in that first meeting why them and why they're building that. And then the next step too is 
is just learning about the product if they have one. Sometimes they don't. Uh, learning about the problem, how big they think it can be, and just like kind of drilling down into all of the work that they've done. And I think one other thing to flag in that first meeting is so I think there's kind of the why I wouldn't say why you like that's that's not it but the the founder yeah. background is important. There's also a question of why now. And I think that's a mix of both why you and about your product. And it's it's why is like I think there are a lot of really good ideas in this world. There are a lot of really good companies and and projects that people are working on. But a lot of like building a company is Yes, you can be the perfect person, perfect idea, but it can be timing and it can timing be luck. And, so important. and so why now does this make sense? Why is it a technological advancement that makes it more exciting and more approachable? Is it a shift in consumer behavior, a shift in the way work people work? Um, why are you here building it now? And why do you even really like what will funds help you accelerate? Like what is that inflection point you're at? Um, I think those are kind of the things I'm trying to get out of a first meeting. Yeah. Even though they're, they're pretty short. So it's, yeah. it's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I know timing is so important. Like I have actually a story about that. So back in 2017, mm -hmm. me, me and my buddy actually uh, started building a company within the blockchain space. Mm -hmm. And this is like 2017. So very, yeah. very early. So, early. Um, and we started like the, you know, thinking about an idea within the insure tech space uh, and pairing it with blockchain because there's a lot of synergies uh, mm -hmm. with both uh, pieces. And at the time when we are starting to, you know, share our thoughts about the idea, um, everyone understood like the core problem and what we're trying to solve, but nobody understood what the technology was. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we've, we are able to, you know, test pilots and all that kind of stuff with a few companies but at the end of the day, their internal infrastructure was not even ready for any right. of this stuff. So even though we raised a little bit of angel money, it really went down the drain really quickly because we started noticing like, oh man, nobody's talking about this. Nobody really wants this. Mm -hmm. And fast forward to maybe 2021 or even 2020, there's so much more available in terms of this base technology, totally. right? In terms of whatever uh, adjacent industries there are. And I'm like, if we started this, maybe last year or 2020, we might have had a chance. Right. Um, so, you know, to your point, like timing and even macro level is so critical in terms of determining, because you can have the best product in the world, but it doesn't mean anything. Exactly. And I think that comes down also to why the founder is so important and like their background and experiences. Like a lot of the best products and companies are problems that people encounter organically and therefore create a solution to. And then, you know, we have a lot of founders who the company was something that they built internally at every single business that they were part of. So they were like, if I have to keep rebuilding it, why don't we make something that stops that from happening? Yeah, you know, that yeah. we can build it once and then we can package it and give it to people. And, and so when the problem is organically presenting itself, that usually means it's a good why now and when the solutions do. And so I think sometimes, you know, people want to start a company and, and you could just look for a problem. And sometimes you'll find one that you can yeah. solve and fix. Yeah. But I feel like pattern matching wise, being having a real connection to it or seeing some proof point in the external world is so important for success because I don't think there's any shortage of good ideas or 
brilliant, talented yeah. people. Like I'm sure your your product would have ripped in 2020. Well, we're hopeful. I'm not. I mean, we got so lucky with a technical person. Uh, that's yeah. another story for another time. But yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, we we were pretty lucky early on to get yeah. some matches. So exactly. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's awesome. So one of the critical things in the world of VC, and everyone knows this, is deal flow. Yes. And, you know, there's a lot of different strategies in terms of building deal flow, pipeline, and stuff like that. As someone who is early in their career right now, what are some key things that you have personally learned in terms of creating that strong pipeline? And or what activities are you undertaking right now to develop that source, uh, those sources for you? Yeah, I think especially early in my career, this has been something that's like, always top of mind. And I think it's one of the more intangible things as a VC to to create, especially like, I, I think that's sometimes people become really good VCs because they've like come in with an amazing pipeline of deals, either because they're a former operator, founder, or like just in the industry or space. And as somebody coming in from uh, more of like a consulting background, I, I don't necessarily have like I didn't necessarily have those industry ties that would lead to just like organic deal flow. And so I think a lot of it is it's a it's a hard thing to define. And I think the worst way to go about it is looking at how other people are doing it and trying to copy paste. You know, I think there are a lot of different ways to get deal flow. And so for me, a lot of that is like relationship building. And I found that for me, like, yes, I love a good event, but where I'm best and where I enjoy myself most is like one-on-one interactions and building relationships beyond just professionally. And then those have yielded some really great, you know, some great deal flow um, and have become really mutually beneficial in being able to support each other on diligences. And so for me, it's making relationships with founders and other VCs along their career path, both in my kind of lane and up through the process, as well as just like being on Twitter, reading a lot and doing more. Um, But, you know, I think there's a lot of good ways to do it. There's some people who are really good at putting out content that is helpful and industry specific, and they find deal flow that way. Um, Some people are connectors and host events, and that's how they get there. So there's no one size fits all. Another really exciting one that I have been kind of working and spearheading at ENIAC was, is our inbound cold pitch submission process. Okay, cool. Um, You know, I think VC, as we keep talking about, as everyone is, is is kind of opaque and hard to get into. If it was hard for me to get a job, it's even harder for founders who don't have connections to get funding. Right. Um, And so what ENIAC launched in the past year, we've we now have on our website, like a bunch of other funds have too, an open submission process where anyone can submit what they're working on. And so I, um, along with one other um, person on our team, review every single submission um, and go through. And I think that has been another way where I, I think it's important to also have some kind of deal flow that isn't just because of a network um because i think it yields more diverse more exciting and and kind of levels the playing field there because if i'm only getting my deal flow from my immediate circle or the like new york tech ecosystem it's definitely a lot of high quality but you know with the greater mission of breaking down some barriers 
um, I've, I've found that the inbounds are really exciting. Yeah, no, that's absolutely true. And I, I think you, in America, at least it's a bit more, uh, unique just because of the, you know, how many VCs there are mm-hmm. in Canada, at least. I feel like all the VCs typically have access to the same deals just because the number and volume is not as significant. So, you know, inbound and diversity, I feel like are very important. And I know you have a strong affiliation towards diverse founders and diverse groups. And we'll get into that a little yeah. bit later. <laughs> um, and so maybe I'm already answering this question for you, but quality over quantity, what's your opinion on this? Oh, it's, it's such a cop out, but it's so both. Like, I think it is, it's a mix, right? I think quality is what's most important, right? You, we do not make a ton of investments every year. And also like, yes, we're generalists. Yes, we're broad, but there are companies that we just won't be that helpful with. Like, and, and I think it's important as a founder, even to be like, you are getting in a partnership. Like there is money everywhere. Um, and so if you do have the luxury to choose, you should also be thinking about, okay, what can I get beyond just a check? Um, in terms of support, in terms of expertise. And so, you know, finding those like perfect fits uh, is obviously hard and and it requires a decent amount of quantity yeah. because there are so many, like I said, great ideas, great people, great companies, but to find that match of like, where can we differentially support someone and who, like which ones are going to be those standouts are, it, it ends up being a mix. Um but I do generally think like quantity yields more accessibility. And as a result, it, it might be a little bit less efficient. Um, but for me personally, it's worth the extra time if it means the opportunity to really kind of find something exciting and new that I wouldn't have stumbled on yeah. if I just cast my like short net. Right. And I always think of it as almost like a Venn diagram because there's certain characteristics and quantity, certain characteristics and quality, and the intersection of those is probably what you're looking for uh, Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, right? So um, in terms of, so, you know, one of the things VCs obviously also experience is potential loss deals. So um, although I'm not sure if you've experienced one, but like how does ENIAC conduct a postmortem per se on potential loss deals? Yeah. So I think, you know, we're all very hands-on and very clued in throughout all of our deal processes. We're, you know, a small team. So we all, and we meet, each meet every single person we invest in. So like we're clued in. To be honest, like there are a lot of different reasons you might lose a deal. I'll say like lose with air quotes, um, you know, because I think if you're just thinking about like going toe to toe with another VC that like usually the process weeds itself out before the term sheets. but that can be because of like price. You can lose a deal because of the fit or just the timing even. Like sometimes we'll see a deal and we only have like a week and oh, yeah. it's hard to get to conviction. And we want to do our due diligence and make sure that we are checking all the boxes. And so that can be reason. And so I think the postmortems happen like pretty live um, and we just learn from them and kind of continue. But I think the biggest like best practice and that we've found is like, and and we've like written articles about this. It's like we are so we really truly believe. And like again, I meet so many founders who, if I had unlimited capital, I would be investing in a ton of these people. Yes, like, yes. Um, and so I don't want to ever close the door, and I never want to just like leave somebody out there. So we are really big on providing feedback to people we pass on or or deals we just can't finish on, and 
and trying to be helpful, even if we lose a deal. Um, and that has yielded like really significant results kind of down the line for ENIAC as a fund. Like, you know, some of our best companies and our and portfolio companies are from second time ENIAC founders, a founder that we passed on their first company, but they had a good experience. So they came back yeah. um, or, and, and even some of the deals we've recently done, my partner and I, um, one of the have come from this one deal that he lost a few years back um, because of price. And we've done investments that this founder has sent us because they, you know, they have friends who are starting companies that they believe in. And, you know, and so it's like, we've literally made investments off of deals we've lost. Yeah. Um, and so I think it's a lot of like, just, you know, it is a big ecosystem, but it's also a small one. So really just, trying to be helpful, even if it doesn't mean we get to be the lead investor. Um, it, it always pays dividends. And also like, I don't, I think if you're in VC and you don't want to help founders, that's like the wrong role. Yeah, for sure. And so even if we can't get there to conviction or the terms are fit or price doesn't work out for us, we want to see everyone succeed. And so we try to help make intros or you know, just be there. And, and there's a lot of companies that I'm like tracking yeah. that we didn't get to make an investment in, but that I'm excited to like see. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I think even turning a negative scenario into a positive thing, just through trust and just being open to helping individuals builds that capital, um, that internal capital for, you know, new leads to come in, like you just mentioned with that other founder. So that's, that's so, so important. Um, and I, I guess like maybe a, an extension of this question is for the world of VC, uh, typically, again, uh, that image is instilled with us as someone who networks and all that kind of stuff. But um, are, in your opinion, are introvert, introverts uh, suited for a career in VC? Yeah, I think so. I am a hard extrovert. Like whenever I take the test, I'm like yeah. 100% extrovert. Um but I 100% think that introverts are suited for the career. And I think it can be really intimidating, again, from the public perspective. Like if you're on Twitter every day and you're seeing these like events, yeah. it can be really overwhelming. But I think introverts have like a superpower, especially like we have introverts at the fund who are just like kick ass, honestly. And I think, you know, there are so many parts of the job that are not the ones that you get to you see because they're not as like sexy um that introverts are probably better than extroverts at and uh, you know like i said the one-on-one -on -one connections for me have been the most valuable and so like and and those are those are great and don't drain your social battery as much and and also just like a lot of the job is researching you know doing a lot of deep like searches into ideas or opportunities and really diving into things that introverts kick ass at. And I think that it's just sometimes publicly, it, yeah. it looks daunting, but I, I'm, I have some really good friends that are definitely introverts in this space and they are as good, if not better than their peers. Sweet. Yeah. No, shout out to all my introverts out there. Uh, yeah. You guys can make a pathway into VC as well. So there you got, you got some words of encouragement from Claire. Uh, okay. So maybe let's uh, go into some trends that you're noticing within tech. Mm -hmm. um, I noticed on your profile that you have um, a strong connection towards, you know, democratizing access to capital. So first I'd love to understand what does that actually mean to you? I think that's an important question. Uh, 
ask? And then what sort of innovations and companies do you believe are pushing this mission forward? Yeah. So this is something that is like really near and dear to my heart and stop me if I start like nerding out. No and worries. Stop, no worries and, like, yeah. ever. But for me, and it's something, you know, people ask me even now today, like, why didn't you just go to an impact fund if you want to be impactful? Um, and for me, ESG broadly is a trend that is on the horizon, is coming up and is a non-negotiable and is going to be a determinant of whether or not companies succeed. Um, and so for me, ESG is baked into all processes and, and are just embedded in how you build a company sustainably so that you can grow, that you can thrive as the world continues to cast a more like diligent eye um, on companies and hold them accountable. And so one thing for me becoming a VC that I love is the uh, ability to like democratize democratize access to both capital, but also like key solutions. So the access to capital, I think is kind of clear. It's just things like our cold inbound, things like expanding my net, trying to make sure that people with really good ideas who can make amazing companies that are frequently just not let in the room are able to get that. And I think that's like a lifelong goal for me. But also the thing that I think is so exciting is for me, any company that I want to invest in, I want them to, in some ways, democratize access to services, technology, opportunities for other people. And I think people immediately go to like, that has to be a nonprofit or it has to be something like, you know, very in line. But, you know, I think that's why I think fintech is exciting, even if it's not like a project that is directly dedicated to one demographic. If you can help make banking or something more affordable and more accessible to everyone, it then helps people who I want to help in like underserved communities. Absolutely. And so I feel the same way about, you know, a lot of tech, a lot of just like, you know, we're looking at a lot of open source deals and open source is exciting because the code is available and anyone can look into it and anyone can work on it and be a part of those communities and build products that work well for them. And so I, I think generally what venture capital can do is really like catalyze and expand on and speed up those processes and allow for people to like build companies that change systems um, and update them. And so I love doing a deal that is like right mission aligned, but I think it's it's easy to find other ways to be helpful. Yeah, no, one company that comes to mind, and we've uh, had Jimmy on the podcast with Propel. Mm -hmm. um, I think they've done a beautiful job in terms of the target um, kind of individual that they're going after and really helping and, again, democratizing access to something that they never had before. And he went into this whole idea of how, you know, traditional, say, tech startups are not really focused on that angle because of the monetary benefits that right. you can gain from that. But they have proven that you could build tech for those less or underserved and actually have success at the same time. So I think it's just more of a shift in terms of how, and, and again, that's why VC is so important because you guys are the decision makers uh, mm -hmm. a lot of the times. And so I feel like, you know, your focus is going to have a lot of positive influence uh, in terms of, you know, yeah. helping out individuals. And I think that on top of that, it's like, like I said, you can embed ESG into any company. And so 
especially being there with these with you know we can be investing in a team of two founders so we'll be there with them when they hire out a team when they think about their policies internally and and we can support them in building a business that is both set up for more sustainable long-term growth like reducing kind of external risks to the businesses helping with their branding helping build the capital like the business case for esg um you know if you want to become a public company NASDAQ is like putting a lot of very important regulation of like an oversight about disclosing metrics and doing all these things. And what I learned at Silver Lake and at Bain is it's much harder to, you know, start tracking these metrics to start implementing these systems when you're a massive company. And so it might be too early when it's you and your friend in your apartment building something, but it is never too early to start having a really thoughtful sense of like, how can we make sure that we are either not actively harming the world yeah. or doing better? And so, you know, those first few key hires are very important for culture and diversity. Um, you know, thinking about where you're sourcing different, you know, materials from if you're a hard tech, like things like that are really important. And, you know, I think especially as like Gen Z and people like age into it and have, decision and purchasing power, it's not going to be a trade-off. Like they hold their companies accountable and they want to do business with businesses that help them. And they want to work at companies that are good for the world and are, are not doing it. We've seen, you know, so many people in tech kind of standing up for themselves when they don't agree with something. And so Absolutely. if you want to retain talent, if you want to find the right talent, if you want to succeed, you're going to have to embed ESG principles. And so I think for me, that's why I love being at a generalist tech fund is because I think it's like my thesis underlying it all is that the companies that have founders who are thinking about that are going to be the ones that succeed in the long run. And so it doesn't always have to even be a trade-off. It just has to be something that people keep top of mind. Um, which I absolutely love. <laughs> right. Yeah. And speaking of building communities for diverse mm -hmm. uh, communities, and um, you and Nicole are actually building a investor community for LGBTQ investors. Mm -hmm. um, and so maybe if you could uh, share your thought process as to why this was bo uh, both important to, you know, build out, but personally, why you wanted to maybe have some influence over kind of helping individuals in this space out. Yeah. So I, I think where it all comes down to, and yeah, Nicole and I have been working, so I can talk about that. But I think where it comes down to is like, people always talk about like DE&I, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And, you know, I think most people know what that means, but it's like diversity is like having people of diverse backgrounds that can be religious, racial, ability status, veteran status, sexuality, all different, religion, different things. Um, and there's that. And then they've added on equity and inclusion because once you have people with different backgrounds, you need to include them, have them at the table, and also kind of treat them fairly and have systems in place so that they can thrive and, and succeed. Yeah. But where the conversation is going more and more is this extra add-on, which is belonging. And, and I think that's kind of where it all comes down to me. So, you know, I can be included. I, I can be in VC. I can be in the space. I can be given this platform. If I don't feel like I belong and, and don't have this like sense of self, 
I actually, my outcomes end up being worse. And so I think that has been underlying it all of like, there are a lot of people who have broken into the space from like different um, and unique backgrounds. And having that belonging can be the difference between fizzling out, burning out, and really, really thriving in a community. And so Nicole and I um, both are part of some really great groups. For me, like Black VC has been an amazing community and affinity group and, you know, both professionally and personally has given me so much. Um, But one thing I found was that there was a bit, and so with Black VC, I'm having dinners, going to events. But where I was really lacking and Nicole and I were discussing was as queer women, specifically queer women and women plus, um, we didn't necessarily feel like we had that Black VC or Latinx VC equivalent um, that we could go to and find belonging and community. You know, I'm part of All Raise, which I love for for women investors. It's so helpful. Um, But there's this intersection being a queer woman and, and just queer person that sometimes can make you like just feel on the outside. And so we just started to talk to each other, started to talk to other queer investors we know who all started to have this feeling. And so we've been working and really kind of still early stages to build a community for queer people, starting with queer women investors. That is, I think, an authentic and effective community is something we're really thinking about. and that is what we're working on building. And it's really gets me excited. And it's something that I think it, it, it's, you know, again, it might not be part of that, my day-to-day yeah. responsibilities, but for me, it's something that I get super excited about. Yeah, no, it's important for sure. And, and again, you're building on that fact of having representation and that mm-hmm. kind of goes into the whole diversity inclusion aspect as well. Um, you know, you mentioned you're part of Black VC, but there's another key identifier for yourself mm-hmm. that, you know, perhaps those other individuals don't really understand fully. Uh, yes. And so I love the fact that you're building this out, really encouraging other individuals to be a part of this community and give them a sense of comfort. And again, to your words, belonging. Yeah. And I think that's what we're really still working through, too, and like why we're being very intentional about this. And yeah. so we're moving slowly on this is because we want to make sure that this is like what we think of as a a great community. And so when I think of what makes a really good community, it's like engagement, that sense of belonging and like real support uh, that feels organic and natural and like that you have commonalities. And that also adds value and, and makes you excited to be a part of. And so we're starting small and trying to keep it kind of organic and intimate with, you know, we've had some lunches, some dinners and some drinks um, because we think that again, when building community, that human interaction piece and engagement is so, so important. Um, and that's where we're starting is, is to really just, you know, and also we don't even know, I think it's one of those things where you look at me and you know, I'm black. Yeah. You can't just look at somebody and know right. if yeah. they identify um, as a queer LGBTQ plus investor. And so we've been really just working to kind of, with people who feel comfortable, allow them a space to connect with us um, and hopefully start to meet other people either individually or in small groups um, and see where it goes from there. But 
it, it really did just come from like we wanted more of that and we even if it just ended up being five of us we would have been happy um but again i think it's one of those things where you, there's a lot of people who are thinking it and feeling it but we just didn't know because there's not really a place to voice that right right and yeah i, I think what you're building is beautiful and obviously rooting for you guys um in the background uh so <laughs> you know uh, wishing you all the best in terms of how the community is. And I'm pretty sure I can reach out to you, both you and Nicole in terms of updates and seeing how things are going. Uh, but yeah, Claire, that's like the bulk of the podcast there. So awesome. uh, one thing that we always love to do at the end is a small little lightning round. So uh, four questions. You have a couple of seconds to answer each one. So let me know when you're ready. Okay, I'm ready. <laughs> all right, let's do it. So first question, favorite book of all time. Okay, um, favorite book of all time, I think, I'll give two answers. The first is my all time and my guilty pleasure is Hunger Games. I okay, Hunger Games. nice, nice. But my real answer, I think, is the book Parable of the Sower. Oh, okay. it's amazing and would highly recommend it. Okay, I have to check that out. I haven't heard Definitely. it the first time. Uh, if you could have dinner with one person, dead or alive, who would that be? I think, and very top of mind, but it would be Serena Williams. I'm like obsessed nice. with her, both as a player now retired but and as a investor yeah like, she's a killer isn't she both on court it. and off court so it's pretty interesting uh what's the best part of being a vc and i think we've answered that a little bit but personally what is the best part yeah i, I mean it's so cliche but it really is just the people i've gotten to meet like i've never had so much access to like exciting energized intelligent people and it's it makes me excited every day sweet and I saved the controversial question for last. Do you like pineapple on your pizza? Yes or no? I personally don't, but I support people who do. And I, I'm definitely not on a strong, like, never category. I just personally, it's not my. Well, for me, I'm a strong no. Fruit, oh, you're a strong no. Yeah, I'm a strong no. Fruit does not belong <laughs> on the pizza. And I do not want to get into the rabbit hole that tomatoes are fruit. So yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll save that. Discussion. Well, the only thing about tomatoes being a fruit is, and I, it's back from my like legal nerd career, is that tomato is objectively a fruit because the Supreme Court very early on in its time ruled that it was a fruit, but that it's functionally a vegetable. So it, they answered it and they answered that it is both. Okay. Well, that complicates my life a little bit more, but <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. But Claire, thank you so much for doing this. Any last words for our audience and maybe where they can reach uh, out to find you? Yeah, no, totally. Uh, thank you so much. This is so fun. Um, thank you for letting me talk your ear off for the past hour. Um, you can find me, I think actually all of my social media across the board now is Claire, C-L-A-I-R-E underscore Rafson, R-A-F-S-O-N. I'm on Twitter mostly Instagram. Um, so you can find me there. And then definitely, especially if you identify uh, in LGBTQ+, queer, investors, Black, anything you want, um, if you're left-handed, anything. <laughs> um, if you just want to reach out, definitely get into my DMs um, or send me an email. Um, and then just, yeah, always looking for more friends and more people that I can be helpful to. Mm -hmm.